Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. So on Friday night, I had this great opportunity to see, see one of my absolute favorite bands on the entire planet. And in fact, the first time I saw this band, I was 12. And yeah, someone said, oh, yeah, I was 12. And so I was 12 the first time I saw this band, and it was awesome. So much is different at the age of 12. Whenever you, you see people up on stage, like they are your icons and your heroes. And it's just like, and this band is just covered in tattoos. And like they were so cool. And I remember being like, I want to be just like them. It kind of happened. And, um, and uh, so I remember, like, I just want to be just like them so bad. And, like, they were awesome. And all their songs, like, they just, like, spoke to my soul and, like, connected. They talked about, like, heartache and the girls who didn't find them attractive. And, and they're not popular. And their bedroom is always dirty and their parents are complaining and and you have no idea who I am and I remember like yeah you have no idea who I am you know I'm my own person and and this whole like just feeling connected to these guys and I I have since that time I have seen them probably over 25 times like I it's like our whole growing up like we grew up together type of thing but they actually don't have any idea who I am but I know everything about them it's kind of crazy and so and so there's like, like this like I love these guys in fact at the age of 12 they talk about the church and about Christ and about how he saves people and they said who who wants to be saved and you know accept Christ in their heart and it was at that point that I became a Christian at the show, and, and I was like, wow, I love these guys. And so here it is, 22 years down the road, and they're playing a show in Denver. In Denver, and like, and so I'm expecting to feel as if I'm 12 again, but, but I'm not, you know, I'm not 12, and, and so I'm expecting them actually to be who they had been also back in the time. And, and so anyway, this place is sold out. I'm so excited to go to this show. And, uh, and it's downtown Denver, and there they are up on the sign. And I got, and my heart was going pitter-patter. I mean, it was just like, it was, I felt like I was 12. And so I had this big old permagrant on my face, ear to ear. It's like, this is awesome. And so I, I go in, and my whole family's there. I mean, my family, this is my family, I want to sh show you guys each other, you know, like that kind of thing. And so, so we go in, and it's packed out, and, and the band comes out, and I was like, oh, they got old. <laughs> it was like, oh, no. And, like, I was just like, oh, you guys look bad. It, you know, it was kind of like, and, and, in fact, I thought, man, they have the same belly I got, you know. And it was like this, this whole, like, wow, we have gotten older and we have changed and and they all have 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 families and, and this whole thing right and so they come out and they start playing all their songs they start playing all their songs and i'm talking about all their songs the the old songs like they're singing songs about our bedroom is still dirty and you have no idea who i am and i was like oh my gosh dude you're 40 and you're still singing a song about being 16. And then they start singing these songs about heartache and breaking up and people don't understand them. It's like, dude, 
You're married. You have 12-year-old kids. I'm married. I have kids. Everyone in here is old. What happened to us? We all have kids. These songs don't relate at all. What are you doing? And it seemed to me like I, I just like had a, I was thinking like, are they having a hard time playing these songs anymore? I mean, like, like does it bother them that there isn't a connection in their, their music and the things that they're saying? Like, do they actually think they're connecting to their audience at all? Like, do they have a hard time singing these songs that they don't believe at all anymore? Do they have a hard time singing these songs, the same songs for 22 years? Does that ever get old? And I just started going all over the place in my head with this. Like, oh, guys, I want to save you. It doesn't have to be like this. Who wants an altar call? You know, it's like, let's do an altar call for you guys. It, it can change. It can be different. But the reality is, is I think a, a bunch of us do the same thing. A bunch of us, who we are today, is exactly the same as we had been for the past five years, the past 10 years, the past 15 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, and we've never changed. And we sing the same songs, and we do the same things, and wear the same clothes, and think the same thoughts. And we often do so because we believe that this is what we're expected to be, and this is who I am, and this is who I'll always be. And it's exhausting. Like, do you ever feel, like, uncomfortable in the skin that you grew up in? I mean, like, the skin that you have today is so different than who you had been at church camp at the age of five. So why is it that we often expect the things that we understood as a child to sustain us in who we are as an adult? You see, there are so many of us who are singing songs that just don't connect to our souls anymore. And I'm totally not just saying, it's talking about songs. I'm talking about our daily practices, our daily purposes. Like who we are as people just seems to, it just doesn't connect and it doesn't have purpose. It's like a band up on stage just doing the old same song and dance and people clap, but everyone's going, what is going on? What if the voice of God is not actually something that you had heard and it stays in the past, but it's actually something that you can hear today and tomorrow and in the future? What if who you are and the things that you can do and the things that you're called to do is not something that has to be grounded in 40 years ago, that's the inspiration. But what if God, just as he had spoken in the past, he speaks today and he'll speak again tomorrow? What if the Christian journey and who we are as people is truly a journey and this idea that God just hasn't spoken, but God is speaking? And what would it be? Be like to be in tune to God and, and, and not only banking on the things that he has said in the past, but hearing the things he's saying today so you can do the things that he is asking you to be tomorrow. Because in this, we understand the truth that God is alive. And in this, we're able to be comfortable in who we are. And that brings strength and confidence that we do not have to pretend to be someone that we're not. We don't have to live up to expectations. 
expectations, but we are able to hear God, his vision, his heartbeat, his drumbeat for today. And this is beautiful, and it's all about our strength and confidence in hearing who he is. We are in a sermon series called Be Strong and Courageous, where we are studying the story of Joshua and God and how the two of them do fantastic things together. And all throughout the book of Joshua, there is a common theme. It's very simple. It's a very simple theme, but it's a very common theme, and it's a profound theme. It is simply God talks to Joshua, and Joshua talks to God. Very simple, very simple, very simple. God talks to Joshua, and Joshua talks to God. And the whole story of Joshua, the whole book of Joshua is constantly Joshua going to God and saying, what now? What now? What now? What now? And God always says, here's the plan. Here's the plan. There is this conversation between God and Joshua, and this is relationship. God is alive. Joshua is alive. The two of them talk together. And today we're going to be talking about what happens whenever God and people talk. Because this is important. Because talking is an active verb. Like, all verbs are active, right? Um, but it's, it can be a present tense thing. It isn't something that just has to happen. God, talk to me. But what if God actually is talking to you? And is going to continue to talk to you. So today, our, our passage begins in Joshua chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 8. Just before we go there, I want to summarize the place that we are. you got to remember, in Joshua chapter 6, we had the fall of the city of Jericho. The people marched around Jericho. God told them, go around Jericho, march around it, and then shout at the end. And then this crazy thing happened. The city imploded, and people were like, what? How'd that happen? And then they go in, kill everyone. And then God says, do not touch the, the, the gold, bronze, or silver, but someone touches it. And then bad things happen to this guy whose name is Achan. And, uh, and that happens in chapter 7. Pastor Allen talked about that. And so here we are at chapter 8. That They are getting ready to conquer this city called Ai. Um, so so Josh, uh, Joshua chapter 6 is about the fall of Jericho where God says, here's what you do. Do this and you will, you will be a champion. And that happens. And that, then chapter 7 is a story of Achan who did something he should not have done, uh, such as touch the gold, silver, and bronze. And he d does, and bad things happen to him and his family. And then here we are in chapter 8. Chapter 8 begins kind of like this. So as a congregation, here we go. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I." For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, and his city, his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. All right, so first off, chapter 8 begins by God 
is talking to Joshua. This whole paragraph is God saying, here's the plan. And so to be in a situation that you are able to hear God, to be in a situation that Joshua is able to hear God, he has to go out and create a space for God to speak. And God speaks. And he says, here's the plan. Here's what we are going to do. And he starts out by saying the thing that he has said from the beginning of the book of Joshua, eight chapters ago, he starts out by saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army and go up and attack the city of Ai. And he says, here's how you are going to attack the city of Ai. Set an ambush outside the city. Do not go in. Do not do the thing I told you a, a month ago. Do not, do not go around the city and march. Do not holler at the city. The walls won't fall down. Don't do those things. All you're going to do is set an ambush outside the city. Furthermore, the other thing that is so cool about the city of Ai is everything in it, you can have it. You're able to touch all the plunder. You can, you can have all the animals. You can, you can take whatever you want. Take it. It's yours. Okay, so for us, we're like, that's cool. You know, that's simple. They don't have to do a lot. Plus, they get everything that God has planned for them. But you've got to remember the context of this situation and this context of the story, which I think is kind of fun. First of all, God, a couple of chapters ago, told them to do this crazy thing of how to bring down the biggest city ever. Right? There's the city of Jericho, big walls, impenetrable walls, great king. This is a military outpost, and God pretty much says, here's what you're going to do. And if you do this, you're just going to rock it. And the people do it, and the city collapses. And, like, for the people, if you and I were there, it would be like, man, God was in this. God heard Joshua. God showed up. God kept his promises. God fought for us. We're totally doing this again. We're going to do this for every city because this is what God does. Like this clearly is how God conquers cities. Clearly God was in this. All we have to do is create this, this formula of we go around the city six times and on the seventh time, then God will show up and we will yell and it will collapse. And, and this clearly is what God does. That's what I would do. That's what I often do. Furthermore, furthermore, this is on the back of the story of Achan. Like, like he touched things from the city, right? He took them for his own. And God killed him and all of his family and kind of everyone who talked to him or whatever. Like it was just, it's a horrible thing. And all of Israel saw it. All of Israel saw the horrible things that happen if you touch God's stuff. So here we go, and God's saying, and you can go and take everything. You can touch it, bring it back for yourselves. This is for you. If I, if I experience the story of Achan, if I experience the story of Jericho, I wouldn't touch that stuff with a 10-foot pole. You know, it's like, now you can keep your stuff. And Joshua, I am sure that you heard God with the story of Jericho, but I'm not sure about the story of I. Because did you see what happened to Achan? 
You know, like he touched God's stuff and man, bad things, man, bad things. And so it's like, keep your stuff. I don't want it. And so whenever I see this passage contrasted to the story of Jericho, I think about how in my own heart, I, I feel like oftentimes I've, I've heard God and I've seen God. And I've, I've experienced in places that, that he has shown up. But I'm not sure about who God's going to be in places that I haven't seen him show up yet. So oftentimes in my own practice, in my own habits, and in my own spiritual life, I would be as if the, the, the Israelite people just went around city by city and just marched around them over and over and over hoping God would show up. But he never does. And so a bunch of us, we have this, this thing of, of thinking that we have this formula to concoct and to bring God in. Because in the past, here's how God has shown up. And so, so oftentimes in the church, we are people who march around Jericho over and 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 over again. But this time, God doesn't show up, and the walls don't fall down, and we scream, and we yell, and we get bigger tubas, and bigger trumpets, and electric guitars, and we, we holler, and we say, this is what God did in the past, so surely he's in it today. You know, this is what God did with Jericho, why isn't he doing it today? And so we do the same thing, and we march, and we yell, and we scream, but the walls never fall down. How many of us feel as if our spiritual life has been that for the past two years, three years, five years, ten years, forty years, fifty years, sixty years? Things seem to be different than whenever we first encountered Christ. Because Christ is on a journey, and he's inviting you to come along, and he's not there anymore. That, that happened, and that is beautiful, and that is good. But he's moving. God is on the move, and he's asking us to come along. You see, that, that story did not happen. The Israelite people didn't go to the city of Ai and march around it. Because Joshua created a space after a victory. After everything turned out great, he created a space for God to speak to him. You see, a bunch of us do not create spaces for, for God to speak until bad things happen. Like, God, where are you? You know, I haven't heard from you in 50 years, you know? But, but Joshua, on the back of victory, on the back of great things, said, okay, God, what now? What now? What are you speaking to me now? Because Joshua knew that God is a God who does what he wants, and so in this persona of a God who does what he wants, he possibly just might have the inkling of God might want to do something different this time. How many of us in the church have that inkling that possibly today God might want to do something different? <sighs> so, <laughs> he called it out kind of earlier that I always say so if I'm about to go somewhere and I just got caught. Anyway, so, so here's the story of, of Joshua. He says, you know, what are we doing now? And God speaks and he says, this is what we are doing. And for me, I'm obsessed with that idea of God speaks to us and God wants us to hear him. And furthermore, we're able to talk back to God. And I came to this place in this, the, the, this passage that I'm like, man, you know, 
I've been doing the same thing for a really long time. And I feel uncomfortable in my own skin. Like, what am I doing? And like, have I heard God? Have I created space? Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I am really unhealthy. And so I came to this place. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I started thinking about the story of Joshua and who he is and the wilderness and, and going and creating this place for God to show up. And then I pictured Joshua in this tent and these candles burning and asking God to show up. And then so every night, you know, God shows up and speaks to Joshua and every morning in this tent. And so I thought, I'm going to stay in a tent. And so, so for, for the past couple weeks, I have been in a tent. Um, it's been really cold. And so I put up this tent in my back Hard. And I, I said, I'm going to sleep out here for 40 days. And I want God to show up. Like, I'm, I'm going to petition God. I'm not going to bang on this door and say, God, show up. Because I'm putting myself out there. Like, you know. And so I put this tent up. And I thought it would just be like this super awesome thing. And I'm going to be out here for 40 days. And, and on the first night that I do it, it snows. And it's brutally cold. And I remember sitting there in the first hour, in the first five minutes, in the first moments, just kind of asking, God, what now? Because when Joshua asks, what now? God shows up. When Joshua asks, what's now? What happens now? God shows up. In fact, by Joshua 10, people are terrified of Joshua and his God. Like people are terrified of Joshua and his God because they are doing crazy things together. So in chapter 10, it's all about like the kings of Babylon, the kings of the Amorites are terrified. The armies of Babylon are terrified, and they start talking to each other, and they say, how about we all form this army together, the five armies of Babylon, to conquer the people of Joshua? I mean, the five armies of the most powerful region on the planet at the time have to gang up because they are afraid of what happens when Joshua asks his God, what now? Because they know his God talks back. And so they all gang up. They all gang up and they have this plot to conquer, uh, to go and put a stop to the thing that Joshua is doing. And so we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 10. And in Joshua chapter 10, the other thing that's super interesting about the, the whole book of Joshua that I was thinking is every, it's like a, it's like Battle after battle after battle after battle. Like, they are constantly fighting. But each battle, it just gets harder and harder and harder. Like, like the cities get bigger. The, the armies get bigger. The, the iron and the brass become more common. And it's like the, this tournament. You know, the further they go, the harder it is. And finally, they find themselves up against the five kings of Babylon. And so, in verse 7, chapter 10, it says this, so as a congregation. So Joshua marched up from Gagal with his entire army and all his best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Right off the bat, he talks in that tense of, I've already given them to you. 
And we've already talked about this. Like, like God has this thing of t- talking about the things that are going to happen as if they have already happened. How encouraging would that be? If God came to you before your battle, before your conflict, before your fight, before your hardship, before you even asked what's now, and God says, it's already done. I've been there, done that, just do it. You know, I have already delivered them into your hand. Do not be afraid. No one will be able to lift a hand against you. So, so the odds here, the odds here are brilliant and good. And for any of you who enjoy the idea of being big underdog, this is the ultimate underdog. Like these are people who do not have a home, do not have a territory, do not have a place to hang their hat. And they are fighting against the biggest army on the planet. They are fighting against the five kingdoms of Babylon. And it is a beautiful thing. Like, this is a thing that battles and war and heroism are made of. Like, this is good stuff. And so after an all-night march from Gagal, Joshua took them by surprise. And the Lord threw them into confusion before, before the people of Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. And then the people of, help me out here, Israel <laughs> pursued them as they were fleeing and going up to Beth Haran. Okay, so, so these five armies come, and Joshua and his armies during the evening go and pursue them. God throws them in confusion confusion, the Israelite army defeats them, and the people who are not killed, they are fleeing out. Like, they are, they are running away. They are terrified. They're going places. They're saying, do not hurt me, right? They are afraid. And as they fled before the people of Israel on the road, God hurled hailstones upon them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed from the swords of Israelites. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? So you have the people that are fighting and have swords that feel like they have to do it all, that they have to be strong and courageous and conquer and mighty, and they have to cause blood to happen. And, and so they go in and they conquer and they defeat. And God's in this battle too. Like he just didn't hook it up. Like there are people that are scared and they're fleeing. And God's like, oh no, I don't think so. And they're like, he's hurling hailstones at these people and they're falling over dead. And it says there were more people who fell over dead by getting hit on the head with hailstones than in the actual army itself. What confidence would you have if you knew that God was actually fighting in hand-to-hand combat with you? This is beautiful, and this is good, and this is profound, and that's crazy. Can you even imagine how terrifying it would be to be the people of Babylon because their God shows up and fights too? So as this is happening, as this is happening, it says that this in verse 12. On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to the people of Israel, Joshua said to God in the presence of everyone, 
sun stands still and you moon stand still. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the entire nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. And then it says this, there has never been a day like it before or since. So for us, it would be like, well, of course not. The sun hasn't ever stood still again. We have never experienced this. But I don't care about the sun, and I don't care about the moon. That's cool. Thank you, God. But here's the thing that I think is profound here. You remember, we talked about how God talks to Joshua. But here we see that Joshua talks to God. And there is a profound confidence. There is a profound confidence that is being shown here whenever Joshua talks to God and says, hold the sun still in the sky. Hold the moon still in the sky. And the point of this too, to say that he said it in front of all of his people, in front of all the armies. He didn't do this in hiding. There was this confidence and like, sun stands still. And it did. And moon stands still. And it did. And he had this confidence in front of everyone to petition God to do something that has never happened before and hasn't ever happened again. Here's the profound point, and here's something to think about, and here's something to challenge us. You see, how many of us feel comfortable asking God to do something that he has never done before? How many of us feel comfortable making a request from God for something he might not ever do again? How many of us have the confidence in this idea that I am hearing God and he hears me and we have this relationship and we do things together and he's fighting my battles for me and he possibly will hear my plea. What would it be like to think or just, just have an inkling in our head that possibly he would do something for me that he has never done in entire history of humanity? You see, that's what happened here. Joshua stood out in confidence, and when he spoke, it wasn't. I'm not sure if he does this sort of work, you know, or I'm not sure if, you know, how this is going to play out if he actually shows up. It is, here's what needs to be done. Sun, stop. Moon, stop. And this is the only time it's ever happened. And there's something beautiful there. Because Joshua knew that God had his best intentions in mind. Joshua knew that God was listening to him. Joshua knew that God was present. Joshua knew that God does crazy things. Joshua knew. Joshua knew God because they talked together. They talked together. He knows that God is alive and he's here and he speaks and he's active and he does. He hurls hailstones. Joshua knows what happens whenever, whenever he shows up and promises and says, do not be afraid. Joshua knew. It is this beautiful thing whenever you know God because simply you have this simple idea and this simple practice of I talk to God and God talks to me and it's not difficult. 
So I'm in the tent, and it's freezing cold. The tent's cold. And I ask God, you know, it's like, okay, I'm expecting this to take 40 days. It's going to take 40 days for God to show up to heal my soul, to make him feel like he's actually there. And in the first 30 seconds, God, what now? And then I was like, oh, there you are. I forgot what you felt like. I forgot. And it was just like right then, right there, God is present. And it was this beautiful thing that didn't take petitioning. It did not take banging on the door. It didn't take fasting for 40 days. It simply took being present. You see, I forgot what the voice of God and the presence of God felt like because I was trying so hard to remember it. I forgot what the voice of God and what the presence of God felt like because I was trying to remember what it felt like Two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. But what the presence of God feels like today, that is something profound. And that is something that's beautiful. And that's what causes our heart to come alive. And that's what brings a new song. And that's what's good. You see, you see, God and his testimony and stories, it's not something to be remembered. It's good to remember what God has done. It's good to remember the things that Jesus has done done. But whenever I remember someone, they're typically dead. And Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is talking. And he's doing things. Like for the people of Israel, it is important to tell the story of Jericho and what God has done. But thank God that they didn't set up camp there. Testimonies are active and they're living and breathing. And if God showed up yesterday, he'll show up today and he'll do it again tomorrow. What now, God? What are you doing now? Jesus is not dead. He's alive. You do not remember him. You talk to him because he talks back. There's a relationship there. What now, Jesus? What are you doing now? What would it be like if we were people who actually believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and not only the cross. He's not dead. He came back. He's alive. He talks. So do we. Talk to God because people are terrified of what might happen if God shows up. So this week I want to challenge you guys simply to create a space, create a time to ask God, what now? What are you doing now? Speak to me. Show up. Be present. I'm tired. My skin doesn't fit. These stories don't work. I don't know what I'm doing now. What now? Because Jesus talks about this. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, he says this to all of us who say, what now? He says, are you tired, worn out? burnt out on religion. Come to me. Quit marching around the city. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me, 
and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Pray with me. Oh God, we love what happens whenever we ask, what now? What do we do now? We love it when you show up and you meet us in the places that we are, in the places of honesty, in the places of brokenness, the places of victory, the places of being champions, in the place of being failures. You always answer our questions, what now? God, forgive us for forgetting that you're actually here. Forgive us for forgetting that you came back to life. God, forgive us for not clenching on to the resurrection and breathe your glory in. We love you and we love the things you do. We love how you talk to us. We love how you hold us, how you fight for us, how you know us. God, you know us. You know us. Thank you for knowing us. God, in this space, we ask that as our hearts show up, that you breathe into them, that today we can hear you as if we have never heard you before. Speak to us things of today. Remind us of things of yesterday. Show us who you are. Teach us who our God is and how much you love us. In Christ I pray.